interest in death and dying is becoming a vogue these days. After a century, I guess, of pinning our hopes on science to provide with that for us the utopia and immortality, our generation has now become to resign itself to the fact of accepting the inevitable. The secular world and the unbelievers are trying to cope with the question of death without Jesus Christ. It is not possible. And that is why books about near-death experience, about those who have gone to the other side and came back, Eastern religion's concept of death, all of these are filling the airwaves today and the bookstores. One of the best reflections of the unbelieving world about death has been summarized in what Woody Allen has said about death. He said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be around when it comes to me. In fact, I read about a cemetery in Indiana. The man, before he died, put the following words on his tombstone. It says, Pose, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And a man with a sense of humor as a passerby decided to inscribe the following words underneath. To follow you, I am not content until I know which way you went. (laughs) There's even some people who really are capitalizing on the growth and the popularity of the deception called reincarnation. And I say it's a deception because the Bible does not teach such a thing. The scripture said it is appointed unto man to die once after that the judgment. Psychology Today. Under the title, The Scam of the Month Award, the following advertisement won the grand prize. Let me read it to you. Here's how the advertisement went. Wish you were born rich? Now you can be. If you are one of the growing millions who are convinced of the reality of reincarnation, here is a once in a lifetime offer. First, leave us in your will $10,000 or more. After you pass away from this life, our professional medium will contact your spirit in the other world. Then you will tell us when you're coming back and under what name. And upon your return, we will regress you to age 21 through hypnosis to this lifetime. And then ask you for your seven digits account number. (laughs) Once you give us your number, we will give you a check on the spot. For your original investment plus interest. And the longer you're gone, the more you'll receive. (laughs) You may come back and find yourself a billionaire. Show your future self how much you care. Leave behind a generous welcome back present. (laughs) And we'll take care of the rest. End of the quote. (laughs) They'll take care of the rest, all right. Raising Lazarus from the dead was the seventh and the last Simeon miracle sign that the Gospel of John records for us before Jesus' own redeeming death and personal resurrection. Death is public enemy number one. You ask yourself that question, and you're going to come straight into that answer that it is public enemy number one. 
And that is why all these useless efforts are going on in the secular world. These futile ways of trying to cope with the inevitable. And they produce no solution. But in raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus demonstrated that he and he alone can overcome and defeat public enemy number one. In raising Lazarus from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ assures every one of us who have placed their trust in Him as the Savior and Lord that we too are going to rise. That we too have defeated death. That we too have overcome the hopelessness of death. That we too have victory over public enemy number one. Joseph Flax was a devoted Hebrew Christian. He died on August 14, 1940. This man who loved the Lord had the card for the announcement of his death ready. The only space was left in that card was the date of his death. And he asked his relatives to fill it in. And here is how his card read, August 14, 1940, triumphant through grace. This is to announce, I have moved out of the old mud house. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5, 2. I have arrived in glory land instantly in charge of angelic escort. Luke 16, 22. Absent from the body at home with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 6. I find as foretold in Psalm 16, 11, In his presence, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. I will look for you on the way up on the redemption day. Romans 8, 23. Till then, look up, look up. And that is what a Christian death is all about. In the Gospels, we have records of three times the Lord Jesus Christ raised dead people. He raised the son of the widow of Nain. He raised the daughter of Jairus. And he raised his friend Lazarus. He raised one before the funeral procession. He raised the other during the funeral procession. And he raised Lazarus after the funeral procession. He raised one who was dead for half an hour. Then he raised the other who was dead for half a day. And then he raised Lazarus who was dead for half a week. (laughs) Turn with me please to John 11. As we study together from the word of God. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. The religious leaders who are in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. Area known as the Judean Hills. Those religious leaders have threatened Jesus. You come back here and we'll stone you to death. So Jesus was ministering up in the Galilee area. Bethany, where Lazarus and his two sisters have lived, they're only two miles away from Jerusalem. It's very close to the danger zone. The word comes to Jesus from Mary and Martha. Your friend Lazarus, whom you love, is very seriously ill. Then, like you and like me, When we pray urgently, when we pray fervently for something, we want Jesus to do everything in his power to answer immediately. To drop everything he's doing and come to us. Mary and Martha thought that Jesus would do exactly that. That he will stop whatever he's doing and go straight to Bethany in order to heal Lazarus. He could have, but he didn't. Was he heartless? Did he not care? Did he forget? Was he preoccupied? Was not Lazarus one of his priorities? None of that is true. None of that's true. I want you to mark verses 5 and 6. Most significant two verses in that chapter. 
In the original construction of those two verses, it would read like this. Now Jesus so loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, so he stayed two more days where he was. He said, preacher, wait a minute. Did you say because he loved them, he waited two more days? That's not what I said. That's what the word of God said. (laughs) In fact, you notice that the two sisters didn't send a word out to Jesus saying, come. No. They said, Lazarus is very ill. They knew, they anticipated, they thought that Jesus would come. They didn't have to tell him so. They were so confident that the moment Jesus got the message that Lazarus is seriously ill, he will drop everything and come to Bethany. But folks, listen to me please. It doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were his very special friends. So that he stayed where he was for two more days. Listen to me please. The purpose of God in your life. And not your immediate needs that matter the most. It is the glory of God in your life. And not your self-centered demands that matter the most. It is the kingdom of God and not our kingdoms that matter the most. It is the heavenly long view of things and not our short-sightedness that matters the most. It is the eternal perspective and not our earthly perspective that matters the most. Don't ever forget it. Because he loved them, he waited for two more days. That's the purpose of God, folks. There is always a purpose in his delay. There is always a reason for his timing. There is always an explanation for his action. Though we may never know at the side of heaven. But you can be sure of it. I try to let my imagination soar. And think of these two sisters. How they spent their time immediately prior to Lazarus dying. Alternating between taking care of him. One would take care of him and the other would go out and look out the little road and see, is the master coming? She would come in, no, I waited for an hour, I haven't seen anybody. The other one would come and take care of her brother. And the other one would look out, has the master come? No, not yet, there's no sign of him. And then Lazarus died. To their utter bewilderment, Lazarus dies. And then Jesus plainly tells the disciples... That Lazarus died and we should go and be with him. Now, of course, pessimist Thomas, realizing, of course, that they're going to the danger zone. They're going to the serious place where Jesus' life was threatened before. He said, that's it, folks. The party's over. We're going to go and die with him. Do you know people like this in your life? I know folks like that. But listen to Jesus' response. He said, and there are there not 12 hours in the day? If a man walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. What does he mean by this? It means that Jesus telling his disciples that yes, we're going back to the region of Judea. Yes, we're going back to the hot spot. Yes, we're going back to the danger zone. But you don't need to be afraid. There will be no stumbling there. There will be no accidents. 
Hostility cannot touch me until my hour has come. I am walking in the light and not in darkness. I am making no experiment here. Don't be anxious about me. No one would lay a finger on me until my hour has come. My life will not end one second before my daddy's clock says so. So by the time they reach Bethany, Lazarus has been dead for four days. His body was beginning to decompose. Now in the Middle East, the ritual of mourning peaks on the third day. Well, they have professional mourners who come and recite poetries and, and songs. And, and the family would weep and wail and cry until they get themselves into frenzy by the third day in the funeral, after the funeral. And true to form, <laughs> that's exactly when Jesus comes in, after the third day. After they have been totally exhausted. After they have been totally tired. Physically, emotionally, wrung out. Jesus comes in. <laughs> he always comes. Might not be on your timetable, but he always comes. Martha gets the word that Jesus was coming. She tosses out all the cultural milieu about staying in the house. And you only go to the place of uh, the burial for the first 40 days after the funeral. She tosses that out of the window and she runs immediately to see Jesus. Mary is bound by the cultural mores and she stays home. As soon as Martha sees Jesus, she blurts out words of disappointment. She blurts out words of hurt, words of anguish, words of hopelessness. You can sense the sting that she is feeling when she said, Had you been here, Lazarus would have been still alive. Had you come when we sent you the message, Lazarus would not have died. Look at the glorious Lord Jesus, so lovingly, so patiently, he teaches her that he is the life, that he is the resurrection. Jesus teaches her that those who put their trust in him, to them death is not the last word, no. Death does not have the final say for the believer, no. Death is not the end, no. Death is not public enemy number one. Because, folks, I want you to listen carefully. Those of you who are afraid of death and terrified of death, listen to me. In Jesus, death has met its match. In Jesus, death has been conquered. In Jesus, death received its fatal blow. In Jesus, the jaws of death have been smashed and the teeth have fell out. In Jesus, the power of death has been demolished. I couldn't help but identify with Martha a little bit. Like Martha, I remember saying to the Lord some years ago with deep disappointment. Like Martha, with, I said it with a sting in my heart. Why, Lord? And you know, I remember that day like it was yesterday. And just think about it. Here, I surrendered my life to the Lord in March of that year. In July of that year, the Lord took my mother home. After four months of being born again, I began to cry. My cry to the Lord was this. Had you come and healed her, she wouldn't have died. My cry was, had you ordered her healing? But you know, the Lord is very gracious to me because I was a young Christian. I have not matured in the faith. 
the Lord was so gracious and he showed me an incredible vision that many years ago. And the vision was this of my mother rejoicing in heaven in a new body, another body that was raked with pain. And I want to tell you something. The Lord took pity on my spiritual ignorance. He took pity on my lack of biblical knowledge. And he gave me that magnificent vision. But I'll tell you what happened for those past years. I have never, ever presided over a funeral and believed for a moment, not for a second, that this person who died in the Lord Jesus Christ in the box is that person. Never do I see death to the believer as the master of the house. Death to the believer is only a porter in the king's lodge. Death to the believer is an honorable discharge from the battles of life. Death to the believer is only the gatekeeper that opens the gate of the king to the king's guest. Death is to the believer is the funeral of our sorrows. The first thing I want to point out to you is in verse 33. The Bible said Jesus groaned. Now I want to tell you, from the Greek, this word is not translatable into English. It really is not. It is so awesome you can't translate it. The closest thing that I can get to in explaining it in English is that Jesus snorted like an angry horse. That kind of feeling, that kind of anger. It's an expression of violent displeasure. It is an expression of indignation. I am convinced in my own heart that the reason for his anger and indignation is the root cause of death that is sin itself. James said in James 1.15 that when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. Paul said in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is why only those whose sins are forgiven are going to make it to eternal life. Only those who are washed Their hearts and the blood of the Lamb will make it to the other side of glory. Hell, which is eternal death, awaits all those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Hell, which is eternal death, awaits all those who refuse to come to Him as Savior and Lord. Hell, which is eternal death, awaits all those who refuse to trust Him. You know what? I have never heard of a Christian who repented of being a Christian on his deathbed. Have you? I've heard a lot of last-minute deathbed conversions, but I've never known a believer to say, gosh, why, was, why did I believe all this time as you were dying? Never. Never. I pray to God that if you do not know that you are going to heaven, the moment your eyes close and leave this side of heaven and get that you would not be there with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would decide to do that today. That you would not leave this place without saying, Lord Jesus, I do want to receive your forgiveness and eternal life. Someone said that uh, there are seven simple facts about sin. Those seven facts about sin, every believer ought to know. Everyone in the world ought to know. Number one, sin earns wages. Number two, sin pays wages. Number three, 
Sin insists on paying. You might be very willing to let the payment go, or you let the account go, but sin always insists. Fourth, sin pays wages in kind. Five, sin pays in installments. Six, sin pays in full. Unless the blood of Jesus Christ washed away the stain. Seven, sin is self-executive. It pays its own bills. The logical result of sin is death. Death to the body, death to the mind, death to the soul. That is why Jesus snorted, angry at sin. And the result and the wages of sin. Oh, for God to give us men and women in the pulpits of this country who would snort at sin and death. The second thing that I want to point out to you in this passage is verse 39. And this miracle that Jesus performed prior to his own death and resurrection. Jesus asked them to remove the stone. You think about it. The one who raised the dead could with a click of his finger just move the stone. Could he not? Yes, he could, but he didn't. Instead, he asked those who were alive, standing there, to do it. Because before God can call out those who are dead in sin and trespasses, he asked those who are spiritual alive to move away the stone. He asks you who know him and walk with him to move away the stone, to make it possible for him to perform his miracle. Every one of us must play a role. Every one of us must take part in removing the stone. Not one person ought to say, I have an excuse. Some pray, some give, some evangelize, some witness, some welcome people, some extend hospitality. Whatever it is, whatever role God will give you to help move away the stone. So that Jesus can raise those who are spiritually dead. Roll away the stone in order to rescue men and women who are heading straight for hell. Then there's a third thing I want you to notice here. It's in verse 44. After Jesus called out Lazarus by name, Lazarus comes out of the grave, and Jesus said, Loose him and let him go. D.L. Moody said that if just as well Jesus mentioned Lazarus by name, had he just said, Come out, all the dead would have walked out of the grave. Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Why loosing him? I want you to imagine Lazarus in a Middle Eastern culture. They don't dress him up and put makeup on them before they bury them. They wrap them around with white cloth. Tie their hands, their feet, before they bury them. And here, a man was tied with all the bedclothes. His heart was beginning to pump again. His arteries just began to pulsate once more. His muscles began to move once more. And he shuffles out of the grave with all the bandages around his hand and around his feet. And that is why Jesus said, loose him and let him go. This picture is not unlike what happens to us spiritually. When the Holy Spirit of God quickens our spirits and be converted to Christ, 
Yet we're still walking around with grave cloth all around us. They're hampering us in our Christian walk. There are those sins from your past. There are those habits from your life without Christ. There are those addictions from the pre-conversion days. All hampering your growth. All hampering your walk with the Lord. The napkin on your face that is blocking your view. The grave clothes that on your hands make you can't work effectively. The bandages that are binding your feet that you can't walk with God. Here's what Jesus is saying to every one of us today. Be loosed in Jesus' name. Be loosed in Jesus' name. Whatever it is that is binding you, Jesus wants you to be loosed today. Trust me, that is the desire of his heart. It's only going to take the desire of your will to say, Lord Jesus, I do want to be loosed. Free me up. Somebody asked me, is raising Lazarus from the dead the same as Jesus' resurrection? The answer is no. When Jesus raised all these three people, he resuscitated them because each one of them died again. But Jesus is the only one who rose from the dead never to die again. And because of his resurrection, you and I can have a free life in Jesus Christ now. That eternal life does not begin when you get to heaven. It begins now. Will you name whatever is holding you, whatever is tying you, whether it be love for money, whether it be love for lust, whether it be lack of disciplined Christian life, whether it's an area of disobedience, whatever it is that is hampering your walk with Christ, Jesus is saying right now, be loosed in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.